I'd like you to turn to page three in the bulletin, which is also the, in part there, the sermon text. And I want to read this, not to you, but with you. I'd like to do a responsive reading of these verses. And here's how it's going to go. I'll read the, uh, the title of the psalm, the first three verses, and then you'll see a little space there. And then you'll read verses four and five. And then I'll read verses 6 and 7. And then you'll read verses 8 through 10. And then we'll all read the last two verses. You think you can handle that? Okay. Listen to what God says. A song. A song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord. For you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I went down to bed? Will the dust praise you? truth. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. And together. You, you have turned for me in the morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end of my glory, sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, as we turn our hearts and minds to the attention of this passage of your word, we ask that you will mightily speak to us and encourage us and bless us and move us to new and different things in our own lives. So speak and let your servants hear, we pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> in a brief and quiet ceremony on December 5, 2012, more than eight years ago, my wife and I <clears throat> paid off the mortgage on the home we li have lived in since 1985. And because the lending institution that held my mortgage was also the church committee that employed me as the general secretary to the Committee on Home Missions of the Church Extension, 
And because I was meeting with them for the last time before my retirement, I spoke to them about the occasion. And I spoke to them from Psalm 30. Now, while not all the Psalms have titles or list their author, this one does. A song at the dedication of the house of David. I'm not sure if the house of David or the Hebrew doesn't add all of those, those punctuation marks. I believe that if, for those of you who might be using the uh, ESV, I think they got it wrong when they described the uh, the words to the dedication of the temple. The, the Hebrew word is just house. And there's good reason to believe that it is David's house that is at issue in this psalm. We're taken, I think, back to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, I, I know that you may not have a, a Bible, and I, I will probably, I'm just going to be reading it to you. 2 Samuel 5, verses 9 and following. Listen to these words in 2 Samuel, not 1 Samuel. First uh, Samuel gets us up through the early life of David and the Goliath and all of those kinds of things. And now in 2 Samuel, David is taking over Saul and sadly Jonathan are dead. And something new has happened. We read, Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, the next country over, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons. And they built for David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that God had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. They built for David a house. That's all there is to the story. We're never told of a celebration or a dedication of this house. But after years of struggling and difficulty, David could finally go home. Go home. Think of it. Listen to some of the words of Psalm 30 in this context, where David stands perhaps looking up at the house or, uh, or walking in its halls or in its garden, reflecting on his years of adversity as a, as a fugitive, living in caves and sleeping in borrowed beds. And, and he looks up to God and he prays. Now, take this and follow along. He prays this. He says, verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, my God, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Picture Goliath the giant taunting 
the armies of the living God. Picture Saul in his jealousy throwing a spear over missing David's life, David's body. It goes on, O Lord, my God, I cried to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. Picture David in, in exile for years and years. He was at one point hiding in a cave, at another point feigning insanity before the strong man Abimelech so that he wouldn't be killed. You have kept me alive, says the song, that I should not go down to the pit. Hear the hint of an actual dedication ceremony when, when David says in verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you his saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So there at the dedication of his house, as God has finally established him as the king he was intended to be, he raises his voice and confesses at the end of the psalm those last two verses, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. But as I reflected on the occasion of the retirement of my mortgage, the, the mortgage on, on, on the home that I've lived in for so long, I had to confess that I've had a more than casual experience with Psalm 30 over the years. You see, I too went through a period of struggle and difficulty and heartbreak in a set of tragic circumstances during my ministry in North Carolina. I lost my church. Our family had to leave the church manse. We had to move away from dear friends and fruitful labors. We went through the kind of heartache that we still think about when we sing, friends may fail me, foes assail me, he my savior makes me whole. And even when my heart is breaking, he my comfort helps my soul. And in our time of great need, God moved us to New Jersey <laughs> and gave me a new ministry and built for us a house. I remember getting back late at night from one of my first visits to the first church the, the group of people, the, 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 the group in a Bible study that were forming a church that we helped to plant in New Jersey. Very, 
very first one, it was right after I had gotten the word in a phone call that the surveyors had marked out the footers of our house right off of Elmwood Road in the Pheasant Run subdivision in Marlton. Four stakes. No. And so there at one o'clock in the morning, in muddy shoes, with tears running down my face, I stood looking up to God in the darkness and crying out the first three verses of Psalm 30. Look at it again. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You've kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. So God built for us a house in New Jersey. We've raised our family there. And they've grown up and moved away. They come back every now and then with the grandchildren to visit. And for 36 years, I have been asking the angels to join me in praise. Sing praise to the Lord, you his saints, and give thanks of the remembrance of his holy name. He said, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. And now it's been paid off for more than eight years. And I know more than I have ever known about what I have been saying for years when I've testified to God, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord, my God. I will give thanks to you forever. But as I have been drawn deeper into the study of the Psalms over the last 10 years of my life, I've come to realize that King David and I are really small potatoes in a far greater story behind the writing of Psalm 30. Several years ago, in a commentary, I came across the intriguing theme in Hebrews 2 that Jesus is singing in heaven through the Psalms. Listen to these words from Hebrews 2. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Suffering. The suffering of Jesus. 
For he who sanctifies, Jesus is the one who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, that's us, are all of one family. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell your name to my brothers. That's what he did when he came to earth. And in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise in heaven. And that is a direct quote from Psalm 22, 22. Psalm 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the thing that Jesus cried from the cross. As I have reflected on that theme, I've concluded that the reason that the Psalms are so different from the rest of the books of the Bible is that they, among all the scriptures, contain, contain the singing of Jesus. And I'm willing to go so far as to say that we minimize their importance, the importance of the Psalms, if we say that they're just the sentiments of David and the expressions of of the hearts of godly men as they declare their deepest thoughts to God. Rather, the Psalms of David are the songs of Jesus. In the Psalms, I think, we are to understand the outworking of the concept found in just the next verses of that Hebrews 2 uh, selection, verses 14 through 18, that because Jesus had to share in our flesh and blood in order to bear our sins. He had to be made and tested like his brethren in all things. It is through the Psalms that Jesus began to experience the troubles, sins, failures, and triumphs of the human nature long before he came to earth to be born of Mary. As his divine providence ran those poor songwriters through a, a range of flesh and blood experiences that our, our Savior had to acquire in order to come to the aid of those who were being tempted, he was writing the script for his earthly suffering. In the Psalms, we have the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, moving back and forth through time, particularly, but not exclusively, through, through the, the life of David, who, by the way, is described as a man after God's own heart. So we understand that David, the brave, noble, sinful, repentant shepherd and king of Israel, is living through the days of his life the experiences that Jesus will also have for our sakes. And it is in the Psalms, more than in any other Old Testament book, where the personal name of God crops up over and over again the name revealed to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, I am Yahweh. Uh, it's used, I think, so that the Son 
may converse with the Father and the Spirit in the work that all of them were doing as the one God to bring about our salvation. It's that name that you can spot in all of the English translations by the all capital word L-O-R-D where the, the, the capital letters are not all the same size. So contemplate Psalm 30 in, in this context for a moment. We're drawn into the throne room of heaven, into, into the council chamber of the Godhead. It's packed with the heavenly congregation, eternally worshiping. And at a key moment in the unfolding of the plan of salvation, when there's a divine question posed, what will it be like, Jesus, when you finish your work and return to your place here in heaven? And in hushed silence, from the Father's right hand, the Son rises in his strapping magnificence and powerful form, and he begins to sing. And as the words and the melody rise and fill the heavenly gathering place, they set in motion chains of events that run through the lives of Jesse and David and Saul and Jonathan and Abimelech and Joab and Abigail and Hiram and me. And while the melody can't escape the heavenly acoustic, the words of Jesus' experience of laboring and finishing and coming back home again make their way into the hearts and souls of us as God's people. Listen as the Son sings to the Father through the Spirit in the presence of the heavenly host of his now finished work as he returns to his place of honor. Look at it. Read it. I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Call to mind Jesus' struggles with the scribes and the Pharisees. Review his temptations in the desert. Remember his betrayal by Judas and his denials of Peter. And now watch as he prepares for his trial before Pilate and his work on the cross. Oh, Yahweh, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Oh, Yahweh, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Do you see a certain hope of the resurrection? Then he turns to the heavenly host gathered around the throne as he urges them verses 4 and following sing praise to Yahweh you saints of his and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name why? for his anger is but for a moment his life his favor is life then here and what, what follows he sums up what it means to suffer under Pontius Pilate and to bear our sins on the cross but surveys as well the whole of his time on earth when he says, 
Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When does the world come to the grave? Is it out of the morning? And as he does so, he gives every believer the words we need to go through our lives in suffering and joy. And just as you were getting to into the swing of things and, and to learn how you could look at the Psalms as Jesus' uh, words, David shows up in verses 6 and 7. Look there. Let me, uh, let me try to put them in a context. David's house was built in 2 Samuel 5. A few verses later in 2 Samuel 6, as David, the righteous king, is bringing up the Ark of the Covenant from its temporary place to near his home, he is the center of attention both spiritual and political until the cart on which the ark was placed hit a bump and Uzzah put his hand on it to steady it and dropped over dead. David and everybody in the crowd were instantly stilled and went to their homes. Does it not make sense to hear now in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Lord by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. It's true. Then Jesus and the psalmist merge their thoughts again in as our Savior reviews in advance the agony of the cup in Gethsemane that he will suffer in the garden and the quiet discourse with his Father. I cry out to you, O Yahweh, and to you, Yahweh, I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? You see, being fully man as well as fully God, he suffered the agony of the human nature that night as he came to the resolve that he would bear our sins in his body on the tree. And he said, Hear, O Yahweh, and have mercy on me. Be my help. So finally, it's finished. And through the clouds and back to his station of honor comes the victorious son. And now he testifies in his singing of the new and eternal song that we will someday be singing with him. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and have clothed me with gladness 
to the end that my joy will sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Yahweh, my God, I give thanks to you forever. That, says Jesus, is what it will be like when I finish my work. So, dear friends, fellow believers in the Lord Jesus, you can find Jesus' thoughts in songs, in the Psalms. He is the blessed man of Psalm 1 who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, so that he would be the perfect sacrifice for your sins. He is the one in Psalm 23 who walked through the valley of the shadow of death for you. And he is the one who teaches the little Hebrew children the Hebrew alphabet in Psalm 119 by reminding them, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. Jesus did these things perfectly for you and has made you perfect before Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, through his life and his death and his resurrection. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you are a marvelous teacher of the things that are so deep we can hardly hold them in our our hearts. We ask our God as you have loved us with an eternal love and just a bit of it more has been exposed that you will turn our hearts to sing your praise and that we will be more joyous at being together as we know how long you have planned these things and how meticulously you have worked them for our blessing and benefit and salvation and eternal life. Receive our thanks in Jesus' name.